Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Spinning the Reel. I am your host, Evan, and uh, once again, Cody is out. This week, he is on vacation, uh, so aloha to Cody. So we know that both means hello and goodbye, because he's not on this episode. In his stay, once again, welcome back to the show, third unofficial co-host, Zach. Aloha. <laughs> so we've got... Uh, I guess a lot to talk about. We didn't do a show last week, so for those of you waiting for Fantastic Beasts talk, you're going to wait a little bit longer. Zach has not seen that movie. Will you see that movie? No, I don't think so. Good good for you. Yeah. You're better for it, and so is the world. Um, instead, we're going to talk about the Northmen and the unbearable weight of massive talent. We're also going to talk about a, uh, I guess, like a TikTok that went viral about how every movie should be set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and understandably, that made us a little upset. So, or at least me. I don't. We'll see what Zach thinks. I think it's silly. Okay. Um, so we're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, anything you want to shout out in the uh, intro? Not, not really. I don't think so. Okay. We miss, we miss you, Cody. We do miss you, Cody. Hopefully, you'll be back full time soon. Um, yeah. Let's let's do this. All right, Zach, so you and I saw a couple weeks ago with another friend of ours, uh, The Northman. This is the new uh, Robert Eggers movie. He is, of course, the director of The Witch, the director of The Lighthouse. Um, and I feel like this is like his biggest film yet, obviously the biggest budget. I think he's been throwing around $90 million as the number. Studios, but hold on a second, it's more like 70 after the movie had a less than stellar showing um, in the first week. But do you want to tell people what The Northman is? Yeah, so I easily summed up, I guess, it's the kind of the Viking legend that inspired Shakespeare's Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have Prince Amleth, played by Alexander Skarsgård. And uh, the premise being that as a young prince, his um, father is betrayed by... His uncle, um, who kind of usurps the throne, yep. and what is in his order to Fjolnir, yeah, Fjolnir, the brotherless, uh, and in order to avoid his own murder, he kind of goes into exile mm-hmm, as a kid, and then returns to take revenge on his father's killer. I think that sums it up pretty well. So I know you are big fan of robert eggers films generally um i know we joke around about it but at one point you could actually quote the entirety of (laughs) the uh the monologue from uh from the lighthouse lighthouse. (laughs) i'm not gonna ask you to do that now that was one of those like pandemic moments where you're just kind of going crazy locked in your house i mean it it was very fitting for sure yeah you know it was just fun to quote at you <laughs> and you know Willem Dafoe is in this movie and he does get uh, a couple interesting monologues one where I'm pretty sure he like pulls out and slaps his penis at the beginning yeah which is interesting um well it's a prop right that's like yeah, the, in for sure. the, the jester role or whatever yes and he's a very interesting character he uh he shows up in the end in the uh in a in a different sort of manner as well um, what did you think about this movie? Maybe in comparison to those ones on its own merit, what what were your thoughts? Uh, I liked it, actually. So I, I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, not as much as The Lighthouse. I think The Lighthouse is just more interesting uh, in its imagery. It's, it's um, mythology that's not quite as mm-hmm. fleshed out as, as what it is in The Northman. Um and it's been a number of years since I've seen The Witch, but I would probably, if I was ranking them, I'd probably go Lighthouse, maybe Northman, then The Witch. Oh, interesting. Okay. But I'd have to rewatch The Witch to say for sure. But uh, I, d- I did like The Northman quite a bit. Yeah, I've heard from people that uh, are like critics and stuff that um, 
the witch is his still his best movie from you know the people that have seen them but i haven't seen the witch yet uh i still plan on it even though i haven't been the biggest uh robert eggers fan between the two movies that i've seen i mean i think this movie is good i think the lighthouse is also good but i think that his style of very very detailed imagery and sort of recreation i guess of a certain era or a certain location his very his films are very precise in what they're trying to be and so this movie is a very precise depiction of i guess like medieval uh nordic i don't know culture or scenery that kind of thing like it, it is very drenched in that sort of world and that's awesome like that's super cool but I think that it gets so caught up in being faithful to, you know, this this story of uh, of Prince Amleth, um, like you said, that inspired uh, Hamlet, and and it is they've talked about it in press tours and stuff. Uh, Alex uh, Skarsgård has and and Robert Eggers has about really wanting to do justice to this time period because it sort of just gets glorified in this like Viking culture that has been. I guess sort of appropriated by some of you know just the absolute worst people that you could imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of the things they wanted to do was restore some of the realism or reality to it, show the good and show the bad, but also just kind of like show that it wasn't just like seafaring Vikings and stuff either. You know, there was yeah. like this whole world around it, and I think that's great. But the ideas that you kind of get kernels of throughout are. They're there, but they're not quite threaded in the way that I would like. And I felt the same way about The Lighthouse, that it was so worked up about its imagery and its dialogue and really being this, like, immaculate period piece and and evoking a certain emotion that it didn't quite grapple with the ideas that it had, even though I think The Lighthouse did a little better than, than The Northmen. Which is, of course, the movie we're talking about today. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, but the, but the Northman, I had the same issue um, with in that just I like the ideas are there. I just wish they could had have been explored quite as much as, you know, the imagery and the scenery was. Mm, yeah, I definitely think that Robert Eggers uh, and his production design team are just like unmatched. Mm-hmm. Um, both. All, all of his films have so far been period pieces, and I think he's said himself that he has no plans to ever make a, a movie set in, like, current day. Right. Good for him. Um, and, yeah, it's just the lengths that they go to to recreate everything uh, down to the way, like, the characters dress and speak, mm-hmm. and um, even including some of, like, the languages themselves. Right. Like the witch is, you know, in old English basically. Yeah. Um and then the lighthouse, those guys <clears throat> uh their accents and stuff are like super, you know, accurate to the time period and right. there's just and, yeah. the lighthouse especially. I mean, we're talking about this a, a lot. Uh It's, it's a good just, movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. It's kind of hard to escape. Yeah. Um there's so much like behind the scenes stuff and and like, you know, uh interviews and things that they've done and people who have researched it that's like mm-hmm. yeah this is insanely accurate um the northman i think also keeps that tradition of like depicting everything right lots of but, languages um, in this movie too you know yeah and some like very cool imagery as we've said i i don't think it it was like very successful in going back to the roots so to speak or mm-hmm. or you know reclaiming the culture from the people who voted appropriated it right currently in my opinion i think it's far too vague or like not really doesn't kind of push in the opposite direction which i don't know if it's really the place for a story like this to do i, I don't know right it just uh well it seems like it is you know? i think in a, I, but i think in a vacuum this movie's great it's just like if you're thinking it in that kind of yeah. context i don't think it really does anything to kind of change the public perception of sure of what Viking history is or, you know, right. Norse history, I guess, considering like Viking was just a profession. Mostly, mm. you know, you could be a farmer, you could be a Viking, a blacksmith, sure, you know, the King, whatever. Yeah. I think, uh, that's one of the interesting things 
about this movie is the fact that he was given this big budget to make like a studio film and kind of was constrained by that and he and, and Eggers has talked a little bit about how difficult that process was and he's openly talked about how the first cut of this movie that was shown to audiences uh, test audiences and stuff was like in his own words a less entertaining film and I kind of wonder what that less entertaining film is because to your point like it doesn't really seem like the place for that in this but I wonder if that's just because you know it's a big budget movie that needs to appeal to yeah. a lot of people to make back its budget it kind of has it that. absolutely has not because <laughs> you know it, it's a Robert Eggers movie and of course it hasn't yeah but that's interesting to me because I think maybe his version of this movie without all of that the one where he has final cut is a movie that does a little bit more of what we're talking about in in which we're talking about more I don't know skewering the idea of like the revenge tale of the viking being like a noble cause or whatever as opposed to being a little more critical of it which this movie is but it's it's more subtly critical of it than i think a more successful version of this I think, movie would be yeah I, I mean i think there's a couple of crucial moments in the story um and even just visual and visual depictions mm-hmm. that kind of are like showing the um the aftermath of like the glorified violence right and then also you know some words that are spoken by characters in a sense saying how like foolhardy it is really to be chasing vengeance and like you know you have two paths in front of you you have a a full life with people Mm -hmm. that you love and care about or you can go and you know prioritize killing this person sure um and sacrificing the rest and so those kind of there are those clear moments but they're pretty few and far between Honestly, and um, maybe in total take up like less than a minute (laughs) of Mm -hmm. overall screen time. So I just don't know if there's enough punch in those moments to kind of counteract the whole, we get this like long take of of, uh, them raiding this village, which is fucking insane the way that they did this. And um, I think there was like a breakdown on, variety or something where him and uh robert eggers and alexander skarsgård were going over how they did the scene which i haven't watched yet but i've been meaning to um because it's just really technically incredible sure and yeah the the actions on scene are like oh shit like this is you know thrilling but uh then yeah there's some kind of choir moments that follow you know where they're capturing prisoners and Mm -hmm. you know the implications of what are happening to uh, the elderly and like the women and children sure. it's it's not good no. but also not a lot of time is spent in that kind of realm right. i i i think it's struggling with this like duality of identity like you said where it needs to be marketed kind of as, mm-hmm. as like this viking revenge film that people the worst kind of people are dreaming of basically right. And then also, which I would imagine that those people are seeing this movie and being like, "This fucking rocks." Like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> which is in and of itself, like, it's not Robert Eggert's fault necessarily. No, that like idiots don't understand what's going on, but like, it's an issue. <laughs> yeah, I, and that's like kind of where I hang up on it a little bit because you know, there's it's always like an effective satire doesn't need to be pointed out that like this right. is satirical, and um. And I don't think that I don't think that this accomplishes that. Not that it's even trying to be, you know, satirizing, but yeah, it just is. It's too easy to be kept in that fold of mm-hmm. of like white supremacist ideology, right? And so, yeah, I don't. I don't think there's really much point in discussing that further. At least, like, I think on that level, it, it really fails. Yeah, so, okay, so we're going to talk about this in a minute, but I think it actually sort of relates here as well, is, so our next section we're going to talk about a a stupid TikTok that was going around about marveling everything, and one of the (laughs) jokes that that I made after this movie was that, like, you know, as he goes up to Valhalla, like, what if just Thor was there, and now this movie's set in the MCU, but, like... I wonder if this becomes like another one of those things. It's like this is the test case for making movies that aren't, you know, Marvel movies and making movies with big budgets that, you know, are geared more towards adults. And like this is a very R-rated movie. It's very gory and um, 
and it made no money. <laughs> That's the thing. Like it's on that whatever budget you want to go with, whatever number. You know, like I said, Eggers is throwing around ninety. The studio is saying as like seventy. This movie made like twelve million in its opening weekend, and and the projections are that it's going to cap out somewhere around thirty or forty. So this movie is going to lose a fuck ton of money, um, and it sucks because I mean, like I think it's better than most of the blockbuster stuff. You know, I'd rather watch this than like Free Guy, which was being hailed as like the last original IP movie. What? But like, <laughs> like what, what? What do you think about that? Like, are we just seeing the last gasp of you know any sort of original idea? I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. It feel it feels like in these last couple weeks, there's been you know quite a few releases that are more like original than. Mm-hmm. Um, then kind of like the standard fare we've been seeing, uh, like we have we have the Northman, we have everything everywhere all at once. We've right. got the next movie we're going to talk about, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, mm-hmm. uh, Sonic Two, Sonic Two, <laughs> baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if it's the best indicator for like you know a, a bigger budget blockbuster outside of. Mm-hmm. some kind of established cinematic universe um also i don't know if like robert eggers was the right choice for that kind of project in the first place so right as much as it is like maybe the climate around theatrical leases right now it's also the kind of i think a mistake to give him as this kind of director as cool as it is like i think right like i said like, yeah that's what i was gonna say is i think you're you're right and you're wrong you're like in that like so giving me, robert eggers that budget is a good thing but also yeah. like don't expect to make your money back because it's yeah. robert eggers and this is the movie he's gonna make yeah. and no one's gonna go see it absolutely um i think i said it earlier but i'll say it again like in a vacuum this movie fucking rocks like sure just on the on the yeah. merits of of you know filmmaking and storytelling this movie is incredible it's mm-hmm. a great movie um but yeah when you, you just you know inject it into our culture as it is now and like i said that kind of how movies are being released uh theatrically and kind of what's popular right now and mm-hmm. what's dying on the vine is just it i don't know if it was the right time for it or kind of the right avenue for this kind of project right. as much as it fucking rocks it's so good yeah, well, it's just such a bummer. I think the thing isn't isn't so much like oh, this thing can't get financed by a big studio in the future because of this, which I guess is a bummer. the The real bummer is that auteur directors like Robert Eggers just aren't going to be given budgets like that, and and that's fine, you know, because he's going to go make some other movie that's going to also probably rock, and it's going to cost a third or quarter of what this movie cost at the most and he's going to get to do whatever he wants with it he's going to have his final say uh on the movie as opposed to you know say he makes his nosferatu movie and he gets studio money for it they're going to have a lot of sway in terms of like how that turns out yeah i think he's kind of expressed a similar sentiment himself where he's like you know uh he he was kind of vocal more about where the studio interfered and where they didn't and how Mm -hmm. he didn't really care for that that much and so he probably will return to smaller mm-hmm. budgets, but and he said that's the next freedom. thing he's going to do. Yeah, and uh, I think that's good for for him, and also yeah. like the uh, you know I, again I don't I think this is a bit of a mismatch in terms of like the kind of play that they were trying to make, mm-hmm. just because again it kind of is fighting against itself where it wants the studio wants to market this as like an epic Viking revenge tale. That's right. almost like you don't need to think about it. You're just going to watch. But he's more interested violence in like, and, yeah, the rest yeah. of it. You know, mm-hmm. the the whole conversation about like the slave trade that was going on in like yeah. Norse medieval, like the medieval Norse world. And it's it's not and, it's like, not um it's not paced like an action movie or like a war movie. Not. Yeah, it, there's a lot of slow meditative moments. A lot of um imagery almost almost more something like you know the tragedy of Macbeth than mm-hmm. saving private Ryan yeah I got some vibes from that too a lot of the sort of wider shots and just there, there's a lot there's a lot of that movie in this except it's you know not on a sound stage it, they went to I, I don't know like Scotland Iceland or something or, something, or yeah. yeah and and filmed it in just it's beautiful like it's a great looking movie too mm-hmm. um 
yeah it's just uh it's interesting because again like it sucks because again this movie just gets crowded out by like and, and like morbius how much money did morbius make always to bring it back <laughs> to morbius like I don't know if they're gonna make a Morbius too, but they, they literally Wikipedia, today it's like forty-four, yeah, exactly. billion dollars. <laughs> Whatever that stupid meme where he's like doing the Morbius pose over the box office numbers, <laughs> but, <no sequel. laughs> and, but like they just announced a sequel to like the Batman, uh, so that yeah. that's happening too. And then it's like, sure, the the Batman was good, but like this is the kind of movie that is not gonna happen very often because. We're just getting the same thing over and over again, which uh, I've lamented plenty on this uh, this podcast about that. But it's cool that this movie exists. And even though I don't know that it's a movie I could recommend to everybody because I don't think it's necessarily like a it's not like everyone or everything everywhere all at once, which we talked about a couple weeks ago where I'm just like, oh, yeah, go see this movie. This this is a movie that definitely is not like a universal kind of thing yeah it does not have universal appeal for so sure. it's just it's tough it's a shame yeah do you have any other thoughts about uh the northman anything mm. you really liked about it disliked about it i mean i again once again in a vacuum just looking at this movie on its own no mm-hmm. other you know considerations it's really good i like yeah. it a lot and uh the performances are good agreed um uh, there's a lot there's a lot of moments that I'm like, damn, that was good. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh I really like Nicole Kidman Nicole sure. Kidman's performance where she doesn't she's not given a lot to do, but the moments that she does have are like mm-hmm. inc- she's an incredible actress and then they're also like really poignant story moments. Did you see that tweet that was like, Oh, the monologue that um nicole kidman gives in, in oh the yeah and, and it was like bro she does that before every movie yeah. it's mad <laughs> yeah heartbreak feels good in a place like this it sure does <laughs> but yeah no um i i liked i like the movie a lot and yeah. i think it's a uh, i think skarsgård's good in it like he's yeah it's a very feral performance and mm-hmm. he, he kind of embodies that well yeah Annie taylor joy is always good if even if she's like not great in something she's interesting and i think she's good here too so has she been bad in anything i'm trying to think i haven't seen all of her projects um i didn't really care for split that much i haven't seen it um i haven't watched queen's gambit but that's good in it i think she's the best part of critically well received of that for sure uh, um she's great in the witch She's great in Emma. Good, yeah, she's good for what she's doing in Last Night in Soho. For a movie that doesn't yeah. really work, she kind of embodies what that movie's One trying to be. One of the better parts of that movie, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. She's, she's a great actress. Yeah. love Anya Taylor-Joy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I have anything else on The Northman. I think you kind of hit on it. Performances are good. It's entertaining throughout. I Like, I didn't even though didn't all come together thematically for me like i think that i was never bored mm-hmm. throughout it and it's a you know two and a half hour movie it doesn't doesn't really drag but uh yeah should we round it up letterbox round up yeah let's round it up go for it uh solid four there you go a solid four i gave it a three and a half so it's right there with the uh the lighthouse for me that's way too low for the lighthouse. what did you give the lighthouse uh, at least four, four and, and a half yeah <sighs> All right, so uh, we mentioned it already. We are going to talk about some internet stupidity. Uh, there was a TikTok. I guess it started on TikTok, right? And I, I'm not on TikTok. I found I'm, it on Twitter. I think it is, yeah. And it was uh, somebody basically said indie films are dying. Um, what Marvel should do is finance <laughs> indie films and then just set them uh in the marvel cinematic universe and this led to you know a lot of people being like that's fucking stupid and then a lot of people being like oh yeah that'd be sick like like what if this movie happened and then just like uh i don't know the hulk happened to be just in the background or they just mentioned like the 
Sokovia Accords or something, and then people <laughs> would have to go see it because it's canon in the MCU. Um, obviously silly. Maybe the best example was the uh, the Schindler's List example. Do you want to explain this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even. I don't know which one that is. You don't remember this? So someone was like, uh, "Imagine like this is how it could work. Imagine Schindler's List, but instead it's Tony Stark who went back in time." <laughs> oh God! And like that—that that is the level That's of wretched. intellectual uh, conversation oh, that people no. are having about this. It's really just absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that I, the examples that I saw were like, you know, give me a romance set inside, yeah. you know, whatever, uh, you know, New York City after the battle for New York or right. whatever, something like that. That's kind of like what they talked about the, on the TikTok. The, yeah. the deli owner who like his, <laughs> his, his restaurant was destroyed and now he has to like rebuild or something, you yeah. know, whatever, right? Or like a buddy comedy, like those kinds of examples. Yeah. Uh, so just stupid. stupid. It's like you know, uh, indie indie film is dying, and the solution is to is to Hand kill it, it faster. It's, it. yeah. it's like you know, is to is to put the put the pillow over their face, yeah. like, and just say they're well, there. Like that's the thing too, and it's just like even if you think this idea would work, like the idea uh, that like indie film should exist, and that like even Robert Eggers, who we we're just talking about, like he just made a studio film, but like that he should be able to make whatever movie he wants as long as it's set in the MCU is just ridiculous because (laughs) then he can't make the movie that he wants. He's making a Marvel version Mm -hmm. of the movie he wants. And it's just, it's brain rot, man. I don't, I, it's just like cultural brain rot at this point. Like, I don't know. I, I don't remember before the MCU now, like it's so long ago. That was like 2008 that Iron Man came out and by what? 2000, 12 at the latest it it just became a monoculture right like this is just all we have anymore is you know the marvel cinematic universe and the dc extended universe which isn't really even a thing anymore but like every movie we're getting now is just like or at least every big movie we're getting now the northman accepted is uh you know some piece of intellectual property and that's always sort of been the case but it feels worse now and it like feels worse now yeah just like looking at the state of the uh just cinema in general it's just kind of depressing and it and we're going to talk about a movie that is i don't i I don't is unbearable it's not an indie movie because i think it is studio but like i'm not sure who produced it i can't remember um off the top of my head it's like 20th century maybe Mm. which is disney which is Marvel. <laughs> it's, it's a Marvel movie. It's <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know that if, at any point this, like, chasing of franchises and See, all that has ever felt quite as bad as it that's feels like, now. But that's the real, that's kind of the real conversation at the heart of this. It's not, yeah. it's not necessarily like a film, a film industry problem, right? It's a, right. it's a capitalist one. Um, sure. Always. Where, that's capitalism, baby. Yeah, it's like studios want their money back, and so ever since you know Kevin Feige and John Favreau changed the game with Iron Man, sure did. Uh, yeah, dude. <laughs> I mean that is an objective statement. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> like that, they literally uh, changed the game. As silly as it sounds, and you know, think think whatever you want about uh, Marvel film and TV, but that that's like. And an objective statement at this right. point. Uh, ever since then, every every big play by every major studio has been some kind of the franchise development, right? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's Universal's ill-fated <laughs> attempt reboot yeah. the mummy to try and turn it into a yeah. cinematic universe. Yep, and Godzilla then of course you know Kong. DC, yeah, mm-hmm. King Kong, Godzilla, uh, even like Fast and Furious franchise, sure. which was around before. MCU, but then became like MCU of five. Now it's got spinoffs. Like, right, yeah, and, yeah, right around like Fast Four or whatever, Fast Five, um, and it just keeps getting bigger. Uh, so yeah, everything, everything I think that's like produced at that level now is just with the hopes of starting a franchise or you know some kind of cinematic right. universe. Uh, but I, I mean, and, I guess part of that is. 
and that's, I guess I'll ask you, like, do you think that part of this is, because this is what I see, um, that these movies are just bloated budgets now? Like, all of the studio money is going into these franchises, as opposed to before where it was just like, okay, our big budget action movie would be $100 million movie or whatever, which is like a huge budget. But, you know, we've got all of this other money that we can throw it, you know, our romantic comedy project, our horror movie or whatever, and like all these other things. And now it's just like, all right, we're going to spend, I don't even know what Avengers Endgame cost, but it had to be like two, three hundred million dollars because they knew Mm -hmm. it was going to make a billion something. Yeah. You're putting all your money into this franchise basket. There's nothing left to go around. I mean, honestly, I think I think Marvel Studios and Disney is a parent company their their budget for those movies can be whatever they want you know mm-hmm. it's more a question of our what are other studios doing um and trying to mimic that and i think that probably is a mistake uh, i think they're you know spending money maybe on some casting choices or you it's a superhero movie you got to have like big mm-hmm. action set pieces so much uh visual effects where right which is expensive right like that that adds up um, and when, you know, a lot of these movies are in post-production for almost a year or yeah. not longer. Uh, I mean, how far in advance does Marvel release their calendar of like mm-hmm. what's coming out? They've got this all mapped out. Yeah. And so I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it would take like a miracle, uh, for that, for that to change. I think it's just gotta be, it's gotta be worn out. Right. And it's gotta be like. It, yeah, we it keep feels talking like we're about in a this bubble. like amorphous uh, Marvel fatigue that never seems to actually materialize. Mm-hmm. But at this point, we've had 25, 26 Marvel movies or something like that. Yeah. And what we're on our fourth or fifth show. Like, eventually, you would think that there would be some sort of burnout, but like, mm-hmm. lit- <laughs> literally, the conversation on Twitter today is everyone's mad that Bad Bunny got cast as like. Some sort of luchador <laughs> superhero or supervillain or something. Yeah, Spider-Man. really obscure Spider-Man. Villain. And everyone's just like, well, why not all of these other Marvel characters that I also have never heard of? Yeah. So, like, I, there's obviously an appetite here, and anything that has that Marvel logo slapped on it is, like, again, not to bring up Morpheus every or, uh, or Morbius every time, but, like, Morbius is a prime example of a movie that is garbage, a character people don't care about, but still makes hundreds of millions of dollars in profit. You know, did it really make that much? I I, I'm, I thought that was a joke. Um, no, I, that movie definitely made money. I think that is heartbreaking. But I think even even Morbius is a bad movie, right? But kind of like the main spine of the MCU, like you know the the Infinity Saga, and then now into Phase Four and these uh, Marvel TVU projects that they released mm-hmm. on Disney Plus. For the most part, right. are, are you want to guess worldwide gross of Morbius right now? This will be in place of a game. Uh, okay, um, worldwide gross. How much did it cost? Uh, let me see. But so like those those projects are like average uh, to to good, and then maybe you know one or two seventy five to below average million is the estimate with oh. uh, with advertising and everything. Uh, shoot. Okay, I, I would say maybe like three hundred and twenty million. Oh no, you way overshot. It's 156 million. Oh, so I overshot it too, but this movie did make money. Mm, yeah. You you hyped it up and I shot way past. Uh <laughs> You're just a big believer in Morbius. Yeah. <laughs> we knew it. Yeah. <laughs> the living vampire himself. Uh, Morbius. Um but so the like that kind of like the main spine of the MCU is doing well, I think, and mm-hmm. even at this point given, you know, 27 28 projects released uh, it's still going okay, kind of just like chugging right. along. And I think um, none of the movies have been the, disastrous. Right, and like all the bad stuff, like mm-hmm. Morbius, for example, is kind of Marvel adjacent where it's using Marvel characters. To but springboard it's it. And it's working. it's a Sony project. Yeah. And yeah, and then even like, you know, some of the Netflix series that weren't well received or like, I don't know anyone who cared about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s but now or, it's canon, so I yeah, imagine well, I'd imagine it's got like a huge viewership like boost since it joined Disney Plus I haven't now. Gone back and I would it, think. But, I won't. I don't. Yeah, think. to me neither. Uh, Until some fucking Marvel show or movie references it, and you have to know what's going on. So 
yeah, I don't know. I I think that um, we're kind of stuck in this cycle for a little while longer, at least. Yeah. Uh, it does feel like we're in a bit of a bubble um, that will burst eventually, but in the meantime, I, I don't see it going anywhere. Yeah, I just, I don't know, because again, like, I think it part of it might just be that, like, the budgets are all going towards this stuff that is already a franchise or, or, or whatever, and that's Marvel too just to kind of stick with the main pillar of what we're talking about and in, in this conversation but it has just become such a monolith that like everybody has seen the marvel movies like you know you people want to talk about movies oh did you see the new movie that came out it's the marvel movies and stuff and it's like i i guess i'm more critical of this stuff than just about anybody that like is in my sphere generally like i know you're super excited about Doctor Strange, I, it looks like it could be interesting too. And like, I, I'll admit too, like I watch the shows and I, I get on those little YouTube rabbit holes of like, oh, where are all the Easter eggs? What does this mean? And like, they do a good job of giving you that like dopamine rush and that like um, letting you know that like, oh, this is connected to this and this is what they're teasing with that. And it, it just encourages people to get invested in these things. But it just sucks because like, no one thing can exist on its own anymore. It's not like you can go watch. I mean, I, I, these other movies do exist, I guess. And maybe the only way out of this is if people just come across these movies on their own and other movies just start making money. Like you said, it's a it's a capitalist thing, right? Like these studios are going to keep making $100 million Marvel movies as long as they make a billion dollars at the box office, right? So... I don't really know the way out of it, but I I'm pretty sure that the way out of it is not to make every indie movie <laughs> into a Marvel movie. No, definitely not. So I don't know. Any other thoughts on that? I mean, I know like the the core concept that we started with of this like silly TikTok is is silly, but is do you have any other thoughts on that idea or like just MCU or franchise movie making? before we jump to i mean i think definitely we, not franchise movie making yeah i mean i think we definitely like pretty much covered it uh it is it is a monolith and it's kind of like um there's such a gravity well around mm-hmm. marvel that like it's only natural that someone would have this take at some point eventually <laughs> it's just it's just it's just funny dude like yeah like, i hope I, you know I, I would hope that uh, if you can think that, right, if you can think that a movie would be interesting mm-hmm. because it follows a certain character going through, you know, some dramatic events, that it's not a it's not so much of a leap to go from it being set in the Marvel Universe to it right. not being set in the Marvel Universe. And I sure. think I think to be generous, they I think they were just trying to make a point that, like, that's how we get Marvel fans to watch other movies. Yeah, well. I, I agree. And uh, I don't think that's the right solution. But <laughs> no, I don't. I don't either. Hopefully, their heart's in the right place. Yeah, fingers crossed. Because I, I do think that a lot of people do understand that, like, these tentpole movies are important for just like the survival of movie theaters at this point. Because if people are, if all that's out there is the Northmen, like, it's not making money, and movie theaters aren't gonna keep their doors open with stuff like that. Um, it's a bummer again. Like yeah. it seems like well, you know, I, I think fifty the, years ago they could, but now it just well, doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, but like fifty years ago too, there wasn't so much competition, right? Maybe. Like, I mean, I mean, I'm, because I'm just thinking movies 50 years aren't... ago, because fifty years ago was like The Godfather and stuff like that, which is crazy to think that that was fifty years ago now. But, but movies aren't even just competing with with only movies anymore, true. right? You're competing with with Netflix, with Peacock, Paramount Plus, like all these other. Mm-hmm. Uh, options available for content even like right. YouTube like you know sure. your 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 competition is so much more broad and and like robust it's it's such a commitment to go to a movie theater mm-hmm. for like two and a half hours it feels like um, and that can be a, a hard sell plus it it's, that's a good point yeah it's expensive too and yeah you know what I mean yeah man movies they suck <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Movies rock, and like part of me, I don't know, feels a little dead inside. Just talking about like Marvel all the time, and every big Marvel release, we talk about all the big shows too, mm. and it's just like 
you know, when we started this podcast, it was because, you know, we love movies and stuff, you know, we want to talk about movies. But then again, the first episode of the show was Joker, right? And it's just like, you got to talk about what people want to hear about too. And that just like the nature of the beast is that's just the, these big franchises that, you know, we're again, the DC extended universe and Marvel, but like, we're not talking about it today, but probably next week, we're going to talk about fantastic beasts, which is itself a spin-off franchise of another giant franchise from the, you know, the 21st century. So, I mean, at least that one's like a spectacular. You don't have to defend fantastic <laughs> beasts for it's any like, reason. It's 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 uh, it's pretty bad. Just yes. the way that 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 series in cursed particular franchise has tanked for sure. Yeah. Um. So maybe if that happens more often. <laughs> yeah. Right. Maybe if every big uh, franchise creator was also a terrible transphobe, oh, no. it would uh, end this problem. Oh my god. Um. Yeah, that's all. I don't want to talk about Marvel anymore. Ready Let's to move, move on? on? Yeah. All right, Zach, so the last thing we're going to talk about here is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. This is a movie that has been like in the works for a while, and uh, you did the last description, and Cody's not here, so I will, I will take over here. Um, this is a movie in which uh, Nicolas Cage is playing a fictionalized version of himself. It goes by Nick Cage, and uh, he's down on his luck. He's in some debt. He... Uh, needs whatever job he can get he's 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 floundering in his auditions and he uh, he takes a job a million dollars to go to a birthday party of a guy named javi who uh may or may not be a uh an international criminal who just happens to be obsessed with nick cage uh and you know hijinks ensue uh from there so how, how was that describe it okay yeah uh b minus <laughs> thank you <laughs> fun movie <laughs> yeah i know i had to like turn away from the mic for a second just because in in your plot description i'm remembering some of these moments from this movie and i'm <laughs> trying not to laugh it's just it's a blast it was so mm-hmm. much fun watching that movie in theaters i i think i said the last time i was on this like when i was watching everything everywhere all at once i was like man this is this feels like fresh and like kind of like a unique take on this uh concept and mm-hmm. I felt a similar way watching this movie. Definitely not as uh, impactful emotionally or anything like that. But technically an MCU movie because he is <laughs> Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider, yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's just a lot of like meta stuff going on, and Nick Cage playing himself, and his chemistry with Pedro Pascal is 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 just explosive they're yeah it's it's so much fun to watch them it be really stupid is. on screen together like they're just and having like, a blast <laughs> nick cage is playing it sort of straight in moments but then kind of going crazy and uh pedro pascal is just kind of like watching him in wonder the whole time yeah it's really it's really <laughs> a beautiful dynamic <laughs> oh. i just it's it's such a good time and, and i think you had said what did you tell me before we went to see this movie that like it the bar to clear was pretty low because it just kind of needed to live up to what was it It was like oh like yeah it's marketing right like so i remember when i first started seeing trailers for this and and the trailer basically pitches it as it nick cage plays himself and he's everything you want nick cage to be in a nick Mm -hmm. cage movie uh also pedro pascal is there and there's guns and explosions and that's it that's the entire premise of the trailer is like come watch this movie to watch nick cage be nick cage with this plot of like he ends up in one of the movies that he's usually in sure and so yeah going into this when we were talking about going to watch this movie i was like that's all that movie has to live up to if you can meet the expectations of that marketing it's going to be a successful movie and i think it more than does that it's like Mm -hmm. exactly you know what the what it's framed as yeah. in in the trailer and and even more because there's just a lot, there's some other stuff happening yeah. there with with like i said the meta things going on and like the the fictionalized version mm-hmm. of himself that he is playing 
it's just it, it makes for a well, lot of fun because uh, <laughs> i was doing the same thing as you were talking about there thinking through some of the scenes <laughs> yeah. why don't we just take a second and pick like a a favorite moment or something just like joke or anything just get it out there i guess mild spoilers for this movie that isn't honestly all that spoilable but there's going to be some some good bits here i guess yeah i think um i mean you can have spoilers for like the main the main plot and like yeah. what pedro pascal's like ultimate role is and sure you know story beats or whatever um it's hard to pick just one i've got one in mind that go for it you can go every first. time i think about yeah. it was uh <laughs> it's when he's just found out that pedro pascal is uh is this international uh crime boss and he comes out to the party and he's like, I've just finished your script and I've got to say, it's one of the greatest things I've ever read. It's like, so you want to be in it? No. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Oh, yeah. That that was pretty funny. <laughs> Such a perfect delivery. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. In front of everybody <laughs> yes. at the party, too. Oh, yeah. That's good. I think um, the whole the first time that the CIA tries to pull him into like their scheme when they mm-hmm. kidnap him in the van and he's going back and forth with Ike Bernholtz and, and Tiffany Haddish. And they're like, he's like, yeah, I'm the, I'm a guest in this guy's house. He's paying me a lot of money. I don't want to spy on him for, for the CIA. Yeah. And then they tell him like, Oh, well he's this international drug criminal. He's very violent, all this stuff. And he's like, no way, not Javi. Like <laughs> my thespian senses would never <laughs> betray me. <laughs> and then, so good, and then probably the probably one of the better Ike Barinholtz moments in this movie, where because he, he doesn't really get that much to no, do. No, he disappears halfway through. Yeah. We we're talking about this, which and is then, just kind of wild. But yeah, then he's like, "Hey guys, p- pack it up." Nick Cage says he's not our guy. Like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, you know, ten years of of uh, hard gathered intelligence, but Nick Cage says it's not him. Like, <laughs> we can go home. Uh, I I really that one so, got me. So funny, and then. S- yeah, when they're the whole acid trip and like yeah, there's just and it's just the way that like the movie follows the plot beats of the movie that mm-hmm. they're creating. It's just like a meta thing too. So that that brings me to a few other things. So reasons why I think this movie works um, beyond just being like a silly buddy comedy action movie. Um, one of them is that it's there's such an adoration for movies threaded throughout this thing. So uh, famously, the one of the clips that has been going around the internet is the uh, the scene in which they watch Paddington 2 together <laughs> and just talk about how great Paddington 2 is, but there's just such a love for the filmmaking process as um, as Pedro Pascal's character Javi and Nick Cage are writing their movie together and just talking about all of these other movies that they love. And there's just like such a reverence for film in the movie that's just kind of endearing. And it does. it's not like it's like, oh, you should be watching what is it, the Cabinet of Caligari or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, which is one that comes back in a bunch of times. It's, a, a, I think, an old German movie. Mm, it's from, like, 1920-something. Yeah, and, it, and it's not just, like, it, this isn't that movie that's being, like, pretentious and saying, like, oh, if you don't like this movie, you don't like cinema. Mm-hmm. But it's just, like, here's a bunch of movies we really love, and let's just pack it into this, like, action comedy thing that's really entertaining. Yeah, I think that's, like, a... Uh... I think there's like a lot of Nick Cage like Easter eggs in there mm-hmm. too. Um, in in promoting this movie, he did a uh, ask me anything on Reddit, and it was actually like his his responses to some of the questions and stuff were like really really thoughtful mm-hmm. uh, and interesting to me at least when I was when I was reading them. Um, he he himself has like a very you know deep and yeah, passionate of love of film. I think a and, lot of people in film tend to and like pedro pascal is another one of those guys too yeah and so like you can totally picture nicholas cage like being that exact kind of person who kind of nerds out over Mm -hmm. these old film stuff i mean he's a coppola right yeah Mm -hmm. and uh and so yeah the the fictionalized version of himself it's very easy at least for how he's Mm -hmm. if you just look at his films (laughs) it's very easy to like picture uh, that this is exactly what he's like, even though it's it's not. He's like an, a person right, this outside. This is definitely of this. a fictionalized version of himself, yeah. and he he wanted to make that clear. Mm-hmm. But it's it's he's a he's a good sport for like being able to make fun of himself like this and mm-hmm. just fully go for it. Like there's no moment where he's well. Not, that was the next thing I was gonna say. Where he's that like that's like he's not holding back at works. all. Yeah. yeah, and like so he's playing this kind of like schlubby guy where he like he yeah. said he's like very down on his luck and 
and almost not willing to change in some ways, like and kind of struggling. And then he has this alter ego of like a younger version of himself. That he calls he Nikki. Like, yeah, <laughs> when he was like his most at the peak of his of his fame in this in this yeah. universe, and so. So there's there's a scene obviously you know but there's a scene where he French kisses the younger <laughs> version of himself that was apparently Nicolas Cage's idea oh. he came up with that idea and they're like hell yeah let's put that in the movie <laughs> so and that's just the thing too like this yeah. movie works so I saw something I don't know if it was true but I saw something that said like originally they were considering like Daniel Day Lewis and somebody else I can't remember who the other guy was. That was like in consideration for playing Nick Cage in mm-hmm. this movie, but then they, of course, got Nick Cage to do it. And like, I don't think this movie works if not for Nick Cage playing himself mm. and just leaning into like every stereotype or like perception of him yeah. that is out there. And it's kind of like Cody and I have talked about this a couple times on the show. We talked about it, I think, this season about how there really aren't that many like big movie stars brand name movie stars anymore and this movie grapples with that idea a little bit of like what it means to be a movie star and like what happens when you aren't anymore but like Nicolas Cage at at least at one point in his life was a movie star and like as much as he probably doesn't have the reverence in the real world as he does in the world of uh, unbearable weight of massive talent like I don't know that there's a lot of actors that could do a movie like this and have like such that overblown personality that like everybody knows who Nicolas Cage is. Everyone has an opinion of Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. And like I don't think you could do this with like Brad Pitt or something and have it be the same sort of effect or the same sort of perception. So like this movie works because it is a Nick Cage movie and he just leans into it brilliantly. It's so much fun. Yeah, he really he really does go for it in a lot of these moments. <laughs> oh man, such a good movie. It's it's and a blast. just yeah, it really pays off in a lot of like the jokes that it sets up and callbacks to like earlier moments like the Thespian one for example mm-hmm. too when he's like <laughs> Damn it. When, when it turns out that he was right and his yeah. initial instinct is right, he's like I should so never doubt my listen to my senses. <laughs> and it's just got such a quirky oh. sense of humor too and like I'm thinking of the scene in which they um, they both are trying to kill each other. Like, yeah. they have to, and they, they're driving out, and each of them is just, like, it's weighing on them because they've mm. become friends, and they know they need to kill each other. But they stop in the car, and they're like, I, I like your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> like, they try yeah. on each other's shoes. It's yeah. just such, like, a random little moment, but they all work because the charisma of the two actors is just like off the charts yeah it's really it's, silly i like it this is one of the funniest movies or like the funniest nicholas cage performances that i can think of mm-hmm. out of ones that i've seen i mean like a lot of the humor from nicholas cage performances tend to come from him just like really overdoing it at times i find but like this movie he's i mean obviously he's doing that but like in jest but he's also got those more subtle moments too where he's just like delivering on punchlines and it's like not something I'm used to seeing from, you know, like the guy that was a national treasure. He's got like, a lot of range. He does. He has a lot of range. Like, <laughs> I mean, to go for, just even to his last project before this, like Pig, right? It's just such totally a different movie. entirely different performance and a lot more like meditative and right and subtle, especially something that you wouldn't expect from Nicolas Cage, which is a lot more. It's a like, bummer that this movie was not made like, I guess, a couple months later because then they could have included some Pig references too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, man just a fun movie i don't know do you have anything else that you can think of for the unbearable weight of massive talent i think like it's cool in that this is the kind of movie that you want people to go see you know like this is the kind of broad appeal action comedy thing and i think of like the lost city which i honestly can't barely remember if we talked about on the podcast but i'm sure we did um like those kinds of things that like are almost like throwbacks to an earlier era of like type of film that you would hope people would go see and like if people go see unbearable weight of massive talent then maybe we can get more studio comedies coming up around the bend like even if this is like a uniquely nicholas cage thing and like maybe pedro pascal can you know 
get some TV gigs, or not, he's got the TV gigs, maybe the, <laughs> the movie gigs uh, that he hasn't quite gotten uh, the same looks at. Uh, this movie rocks. People should go see it. It is really good. Um, it's really funny, and just like uh, if you're like a Nicolas Cage fan, I mm-hmm. think you have to see this one. Even if you hate Nicolas Cage, it kind of yeah. There's yeah. jokes for you in that too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> man. I keep thinking of like new moments in the movie, like just some of the jokes are so funny where he's like uh you know they're on drugs he's like i need you to drive he's like i can't drive and he's like yes you can you did all your stunts and gone in 60 seconds he's like no i didn't he's like not according to the director's no no that was that was at the end when they're like you should run to the uh no that was when that's when they're on on acid and they think the guys are chasing them the i thought it no i thought it was the national treasure one where he's like i've seen national treasure and he's like He's like, oh, you're faster than me, even in subpar footwear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know from National Treasure, and he's like, that was a stunt quarter. Oh yeah, like, yeah, not yeah, according yeah. Okay, to the directors. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not according to the featurette. <laughs> so, and then Nicholas Cage is like, fine, he runs off, and now yeah. he's like, no, wait, if you're going, I'm going with you. Yeah, they're just, it's just such a, such a funny movie. Yeah, and they're then of great. course, like the the big the big uh final action set piece is just great too mm-hmm. really funny it's just a lot of praise for this one yeah and i think it's such a blast a good reason to go spend you know an hour and a half in a movie theater right like you'll have a good time yeah at the very least so um yeah the unbearable weight of massive talent good movie uh let's letterbox roundup three and a half you want to do the song no neither do i uh, i also gave it a three and a half uh just a just fun movie yeah good time. yeah good time at the theater any uh down uh any detractors for you why it's uh, only three and a half uh i think that it didn't quite not not all of the jokes landed for me mm-hmm. um a lot of them did and a yeah, lot could have leaned even harder funny. into it yeah i think that uh the I, I didn't really care for the the CIA element. Um, I thought that was a bit kind of yeah whatever. I wonder if it would Tiffany have been better Haddish if and, Ike Barinholtz had been in it the whole yeah. time. And if it was because Tiffany Haddish is is fine in mm. the movie, she doesn't really get much to do. But like the best moments are when she and Ike Barinholtz are kind of riffing off of each other. Yeah, I wanted more like blockers Ike Barinholtz. Yes, <laughs> don't we all? Yeah. Because he's just that movie, he's unhinged he's in the so best good. way. Yeah, so good. Um, and so they're kind of not given a lot to do and relegated to kind of like behind the scenes mm-hmm. uh, until like a crucial moment where then they're gone for the rest of the movie. Um, also, it's weird that the CIA is just like texting him, "Hey, did you do the job yet?" <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Uh, sure, also, um, some of the. I guess the the plottiness of it, like you know, the mm-hmm. actual plot itself, is just okay. Right. Um, it's it's a vehicle for them to do all of these, you know, this fun stuff that they're doing, mm-hmm. and it's fun to watch. But you know, the story itself is just kind of it's Maybe fine. Yeah. It's serviceable. It's not it's not bad or anything. Well, but, I mean, they even like there's a meta element to that too, right? Where they're even talking yeah. about it. They're like, oh, we can't just have like two buddies hanging out and cracking jokes like we have to have some sort of reason for this Mm. story to progress and like that's obviously what they're doing in the movie and making a joke about it yeah but i mean the movie probably would have been better if it was just like an hour and a half two hours of nick cage and uh and uh pedro pascal hanging out because they're just riffing on each other well yeah it's great fun stuff All right, that is going to do it for this week's episode of Spinning the Reel. Um, Hopefully, Cody will be back next week, but uh, we're going to figure out uh, a show for you one way or another. Either Cody comes back and we talk about Fantastic Beasts, or Zach comes back and we talk about the 72-minute French movie, Petite Maman, uh, which honestly sounds just as good to me. Yeah, I'm actually very excited for that one. um, Anyway, thank you, everyone, for listening. Zach, do you uh, have anything you want to shout out? 
Uh, just Letterbox, I guess. That's really all I've got. Is um, it's painted underscore dog. Yep. Uh, and just you know, painted underscore dog. Yeah. That's, that's the life. It's the life of a cinephile. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm on Letterbox too at uh, Evan D twenty six. You can find everything to do with this show at spinningthereel.com. That's R E E L. Uh, that will give you links to our Twitter, our Instagram, both the same name, um, and our letterbox, also the same name, Spinning the Real, R-E-E-L. So check that out. I may or may not write again for this site at some point. Um, I have a Petite Maman review, which <laughs> came out this week, so if anyone wants to read that, go for it. Uh, but yeah, thank you, uh, Zach, for joining the show again, and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>